This is a HeadGum Podcast. Good One is brought to you by Spotify. To subscribe to our show, search for Good One, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Good One, the podcast where a comedian comes on to play and discuss one of their jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. This podcast was created to try to capture how different comedians write jokes. Usually the how's about process, you know, do they tape record themselves? Do they write things out longhand? You know, what have you. This episode, however, is, is different. Uh, the question we try to answer with our guest, Pan Oswald, is how he was able to get on stage four months after his wife's unexpected passing, and how he was able to not just talk about it, but turn it into hilarious material, and how he was then able to actually film that material less than a year after starting to do stand-up again. The result was Annihilation, his remarkable Netflix special from last October. Though the first half of the hour is Pannon trying to talk about anything but his wife's death, the second half is like nothing I've seen and like nothing Pannon has experienced in his legendary career. Recounting the day it happened and the next day, which he calls the worst of his life when he had to tell their seven-year-old daughter, Patton had to get used to a silent audience, a crying audience. The joke we talk about is at the end of this section, where after darker, more difficult stories, Patton finds a way to write some classic Patton Oswalt jokes in terms of phrases. I recommend watching the entire special if you haven't, to get a full sense of the relief of this moment, but you'll definitely get an idea just from his performance in the clip. So, here's Patton Oswalt discussing the Polish woman of doom. Oh, the other awful thing about when my wife passed away was that two weeks after she died, it was the week leading up to Mother's Day, which, and I'm like, oh my gosh, so I called the school and I talked to them and said, oh yeah, you can't bring her to school. This, you gotta, she's gotta go out of school this week. You gotta take her out of town. It's too soon, go do something fun. And my wife is from, is from Chicago, so her whole family still lives here. I have this amazing network of, it's a gigantic Irish brood and they are, <laughs> fantastic and so my daughter has all these amazing cousins and aunts and so I said we're going to Chicago all week and you're going to have adventures and running around and we did it was fun museums and parks and sleepovers and all kinds of nuttiness and she had such a good time and I kept her mind off of Mother's Day I fucking did it and I got to that Sunday Mother's Day itself where I'm like I'm going to spend Mother's Day we'll be at the airport and we'll travel and I'll make that day really fun, and I'll fill that with adventure, and I'll keep her mind off it all day, and we'll be home, and we'll deal with this all again next year, step by step. So now we're at the airport, we're walking up to the security gate, I'm like, I think I pulled this off. Here, sweetie, here's your ticket. Give her your, she loves to hand up her ticket. Here it is. So I go, here's your ticket. She gives the gate lady her ticket. I give the gate lady my ticket. She's a very old, sweet Polish woman, and, and we're walking onto the plane, just as we're about to go down the tunnel, her hand falls on my so shoulder, and she says, I hear what happened to your wife. She looks at Alice, to your, to your mother, to be without your mother on Mother's Day. I, I, my mother died when I was your age. I never get over it. I never, I'm still so sad. My father never get over it. It broke him. He died alone. And, but when, I, when you are sad, what I tell myself is that also there are so many other sad people.
okay, have a nice flight. <laughs> and we get on the plane, and Alice is crying, and I'm crying. It was just this nightmare. And, you know, ever since then, every major holiday, I live in fear that this Polish woman of doom is just going <laughs> to fucking rear up and just ruin... Like, Halloween this year, we went trick-or-treating. Every door I knocked on, I thought it would open up. Little girl! Oh! Halloween without my mother! It is the saddest thing. Everyone that's dressed as a ghost, I want to look under the sheet. Are you my mother under the sheet? They never are. My mother is never under the sheet. Here is some candy from my country. It is made from birch bark and ink. It is called Don't! Oh, little girl! Take a <laughs> Take her to the mall at Christmas, put her on Santa's lap, beard comes off. It is me! Oh! Christmas without my mother is the saddest thing in the world, don't you agree? Every stocking is hung by the chimney with tragedy! There will never be a walnut or a tangerine in the toe. Oh, little girl! The loneliness pushed my father into a spectrum of sexuality called Beyond Gay. <laughs> Little girl. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Arbor Day. I'm in the tree. I, okay, fine. I, God damn it. Oh. Yes. Arbor Day without my mother. Jesus Christ. We're here with the, the man behind that joke, uh, Mr. Patton Oswald. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so I, I wanted to back up um, to before Michelle passed away, if right. that's okay, to, no, it's fine. to the week before the special came out. Uh, mm -hmm. I just showed the week before talking, uh, talking for clapping came out. Oh, yeah. Because um, you know, as a as a comic who turns over material like after it is out. Yeah. Um, and so you, you know, you're having this special about to come out in a week. You know, what were you thinking about uh, your stand up? What were you thinking about doing stand up again? What were you thinking, sort of material wise? Have you sort of were you already developing anything? Uh, you know what? No, not really. I. I my my wife was so deep into writing her book at that point and was so um uh neck deep in this um the, the looming deadline and the increasing um intensity of the investigation that she had kind of opened by working on the book that I was very very I was looking forward to just being a house husband for a while and not going on the road and just waiting to see if I could get any work in town uh acting on TV or films that shot in town so that I could get up, take our daughter to school, do the dishes, and let her really work on her stuff for once. You know, she had always been very supportive of me, so that was my turn to let her go do what she needed to do. So I wasn't even thinking in terms of 
that I was going to be going out on the road anytime soon once the special came out. And I was very content and happy about that for, you know, so then suddenly, um, the two days before the special is supposed to come out, she passes away. And it's, uh, I, I, I basically had, you know, I'm suddenly a single dad. I'm suddenly the, the, the main thing that I did for livelihood. I mean, I was very lucky that I had some acting roles here and there, some voiceover roles here and there, but I, I always had that buffer, at least in my head that, well, I can always go out and do stand up mm -hmm. and, and make money and pay the bills that way. And then now suddenly I'm a single dad and I'm not sure if I could ever do the thing that I had there for financial security. Again, I, I honestly didn't know if I could even do it again. Um, so, so like, it's, you know, as to, to give some context, it would be f a four month period before you would do it again. So she passes away in sort of around April, April 21st. Right. And then I believe I read that it was August before you did it. Yeah. And, and normally, you know, I, I would have, again, I had no plan to do anything for a couple of years. Uh, oh, wow. if, if I'd had plans to do something, it would have been the special would have come out. I would have started doing small sets around LA to build up a whole new hour before I started doing paid gigs because you can't make an audience, you can, I don't believe in making an audience pay to see material that is already out there that they may have already bought in album form or watched in special form. I just, it feels like that's a ripoff to me and I don't want to repeat material that's already out there. So once it's out there in a special, it's burned to me. So, but now I suddenly have this, well, you have to go, back out there you have to get and go out there soon and start writing but the only stuff you can kind of i i i realized very i actually toyed with the idea of what if i just go on stage and do jokes why do i have to talk about this and then i, I in my head realized very quickly that that would seem so demented and and uncomfortable to to go on stage and do an hour about oh parking's crazy <laughs> and there's you know and people are like here your wife passed away what are yeah. you doing so I knew that I'd have to address it I just didn't know how I couldn't even talk about it to my therapist and my friends I, how was I going to go up in front of a bunch of strangers and do this and especially with you know taking care of a daughter and keeping a house or what is now depending on it 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 just was beyond what I could imagine, uh, you know, my, my, it was not in my skill set to deal with that kind of, that level of, uh, jeopardy and terror. Um, so, uh, I remember just, I, I, I mean, I, I shut down for a long time. I wasn't even, at first it was about, okay, I got to get through the day to day, get Alice up you know, get her to sleep at night while she's crying, deal with her nightmares, deal with my nightmares. Um, and then, you know, four months down the road, I said, well, I gotta, I didn't even feel like I gotta go. I just, I just didn't know what else to do. And yeah. so it, 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 it had this sense of this, I'm just going to walk forward into the dark, just windmilling my arms around, just flailing like, like I'm, like I'm about to go into a fight, but I'm blindfolded. So I'm just going <laughs> to swing my arms around everywhere, so uh, you know. So it was more like, this is the thing that I do, less than like, I need to do this. It's more like, not like I need to do this sort of uh, emotionally or creatively, but you're like, I am a comedian, and so this is what a comedian does. Yes, exactly. In fact, that was the way that I was able to get back on stage was once I, I, had, the, I had the distance 
and the time with my therapist and my friends to 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 make it not seem like a desperate move and and more like a but this is what I do this is what I do so I I approached it more like a a, a carpenter or a bricklayer or mm. somebody that you know is in the um, vocational trades which are also an art um, but there's there are there there are bricklayers who I'm sure went through trauma and tragedy then, that then one day said, I got to build a wall today. I've got to build, I got to go do what I do. This is what I know how to do. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't, you, I mean, you also write scripts, you act, but ultimately you're like the thing that I express, the way that I would have to express this is through stand up. Yeah. And, and, and when, when I act, when I write scripts, when I, you know, do voiceover and stuff, that is all so that I can increase my invisibility, my, when I act in things, when I write scripts, when I do voiceover, it's to increase my visibility so that I can do more stand-up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not doing stand-up to get out of doing stand-up. I'm doing other things so that I can keep doing stand-up for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, um, but now, now it, 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 there's this, there's this event that not only has it changed me, but it, on some level, it's changed my audience because they know what's happened at this point. They know what has happened to me. So that is going to be in all of our heads while I'm up on that stage. And now how do we address that? Obviously nothing has been like, nothing could compare to this as throughout your career, as you got more personal was what was the most difficult thing to talk about on stage just to get a sense of like how, and then in in what ways this even was another degree. Um, Well, the most difficult thing I think to talk about on stage outside of this trauma that we're talking about yeah. uh, would be um, moments where you are really, really embracing your own vulnerabilities and weaknesses and kind of pettiness and, 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 and maybe some vindictive and shitty things about yourself that you're trying to, that would normally distance yourself from an audience and you're trying to do it in a way that makes you seem human and funny and, and, and then makes a connection with the audience about mm-hmm. those things that a lot of times they would not want to, maybe facing themselves. So now, um, add on top of that, I'm talking about the thing that nobody wants to think about, which is a, you know, a, for all I know, there's people in the audience that have come to get away from that yeah. exact same thing that they've gone through. And now, you know, so it, it, there was so many, uh, th- th- there were so many, um, uh, all of these thoughts yeah. were going through my head. It, it was like I had 18 things to deal with mentally and emotionally before I could even get to jokes every night. And, um, and there were some nights, you know, once I started, uh, four months later, and then once I started doing some paid gigs that I was doing the material about my wife passing away and and dealing with, you know, my new life that the audience just was not, they did not want to go there with me and it didn't work. And so, you know, I had those nights in my head when I went out to film my special in Chicago for all I know, that I could go out and the audience is just, no, we're not going here. Mm-hmm. Don't want to hear this. And which would completely, um, be, uh, within their right to, to do so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault them for that. So again, 25, 30, 35 other things in my head before I can even get to, to doing jokes. I read that you don't remember what you talked about the first time, but do you have a sense of at what point you were able to be like, you got to a thing where you're like, this is now material. You're not just sort of like burning the for the amount of time you just yeah. need to talk about it. Yeah, I have. It's weird. I have the piece of paper 
that I wrote down my sets, like my set list for the night that I went back up on stage, both wow. at the UCB and, the, and then the Palace on Hillhurst. And, and, but it seems like, it, it just, it seems like atonal avant-garde music when I look at it. It doesn't really make any sense. It was more bullet points and, and cause it was ultimately what that, those first two sets were just about me physically getting on stage and getting that part over with. Can I actually do that again? Cause I didn't even know if I could do that. I thought I would go on stage and start crying, you know? And there were, and there were nights when I would, there were nights when I never really cried on stage, but I, I did what I think is even kind of worse and more uncomfortable, which is I just, shut down emotionally and and I look back on some of the sets that I was recording and going wow I got really kind of metallic and robotic in mm -hmm. my talking because you could see that I just have to get back inside yeah. this safe uh tank or whatever and and then just plow through the words which now have no meaning to me and no meaning to the audience and it was really really uncomfortable those nights um so uh I, I cannot remember, again, th that whole first year was such a, yeah. it, it, it was such a, a, a gray blur that I, I wish I could say the moment that yeah. I felt like something had turned into material. I, I just, I can't remember the exact moment. Yeah. I don't have it in my head. Maybe uh, even without sort of the moment, do you have uh, a memory of sort of the feeling of this is a thing that is doable on stage? Because it feels like the 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 first yeah. amount of time you're just sort of like keep on being like, is this worth doing? Is this worth doing? And so you don't have to even, the moment. But like, what does it feel to be like? This is correct. I you know what? Uh, there was a show that I did in um, it was either October or November of that year at the New York Comedy Festival, <clears throat> and um, uh, and I did a set at. I forgot what the theater was. It was a big theater. You did. I was there. It was at Beacon. Oh, the Beacon. Yeah. That felt like, oh, maybe I can do this as a, this could actually be not so much maybe entertainment, but something that's fascinating and funny and yeah. can connect with people. You know, it, it's not for me to say, oh, this is entertaining or not. That That's all, that's ultimately the audience's uh, decision. <laughs> yeah. But that was the first time that it felt like, oh, I've turned this into material. That's the first time I remember now that we bring it up, but I'm sh there might have been other nights before that, but that'll be the first one that really landed with me. Yeah. That's a, as a person who was there, you had a lot of the material that a version of the material that you did in the special was there. So oh yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, that is two months later that you had this much, but even two months in, you're like, I don't know if I can keep on doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> it was, um, uh, I look, I, I honestly didn't know if I could keep on doing this. Yeah. Up until the moment that I recorded the special, I didn't know. I, I still was, I was very, very, um, uh, I, I was, I was very, very open to the and ex, and accepting of the idea of me going out to do that special and the audience just going, no, yeah, not, this is not right. I, I don't, we, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Uh, so, you know that that has that really, it, it's like that line from the movie Three Kings: you don't get the courage to do the thing that you're afraid of until after you do it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get the courage to go on writing until after I filmed those, <laughs> did those two sets and, and put the special yeah. together. It was like, then after it was like, okay, good, now I can do this. The thing that I was terrified of doing. Yeah, you're just sort of like on the, 
for 30 years, the thing that you did was go up on stage and talk about things. And you're, and it wasn't like you're an autopilot. You're connected to these things. But it's the only thing you could do. It's, yeah. It is essentially like for – it's interesting to talk about it as a craft. And the sort of art was sort of built in because it's a reflection of you. But yeah. you're like, that's it. I build a thing. It's an art form that speaks to me. And, and, and you know, I, I don't begrudge people to whom – you know, poetry is what speaks to them. Sketch comedy is what speaks to them. Improv, dance. Uh, there, there are bricklayers that speak to them. There, you look yeah. at some like at the end of the day that wall. There's an um, there's emotion and look at those old brick buildings. Like people's personalities and emotions and lives went into those, and it meant something to them. It called to them. That's you know that's mm -hmm. great. But this is the thing that speaks to me, and I can't. I can't do it injustice. I can't deny that. It's just, it's what works for me. It yeah. doesn't work for other people, but it works for me. And doing it means, because, you know, I imagine if you ask a bricklayer, this sort of very creative bricklayer, they'll be like this wall, like, if, if you know, a similar situation where a, a bricklayer's wife dies, surprisingly, yeah. they'd probably be like this wall, that, that, that you can see my grieving in this volume. But right. because the art form of comedy is literally talking about what has happened. Yeah. So then yeah. you're like, well, that. Yeah, it, it's not a it's it's not an invisible or subtle art form. Yeah. You know, whereas there are, you know, you can, you can listen to people describe Beethoven's Fifth and and all of the hidden emotional elements that are in that, that that are there, which is another song about you know life trying to crush the creative life force and then the life force kind of springing back up and and winning. Um, but it's not there being laid out to you. Whereas whereas comedy is, I am literally laying out. Come, you know, when you yeah. walk with me, I'm going to talk you through every step of this. Yeah. It's There's no subtlety here. Yeah. It's interesting because I wonder what you would have done if this was the 80s, right? If comedy was now, that's what oh, you do. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, right. I don't know what I would have done. I, I, it's hard to know, right? It's you, hard. Well, here's my, my two questions would be, would I have either I would have found a way to break through and talk what the way that I talked about this, or I would not have been able to overcome the zeitgeist. And I would have yeah. only have seen what the zeitgeist was and not broken through that. And, and, and when you look back at the true geniuses um, in any kind of art form, you know, someone like a Richard Pryor, um, what makes his comedy so amazing, a it's brilliant and it's mm -hmm. funny, but also if you look at the time that he was doing it in, he was looking at a lot of stuff, that was accepted as here's how you do comedy is like, well, no, here's how yeah. you do it and completely change the form. And now I'll, I'll never know if, if I had, if I had that level of genius to yeah. do that. Although, um, I'm, I'm happy not to know because yeah. I, you know, this is, I'm, 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 it's, it's a, it's a sick thing to be grateful for, but you know, it's a, it's a tiny, um, blessing that that I was doing this set during this time in comedy, which yeah. is probably one of the most creative and open uh, and and energetic times in, in stand up comedy, where you can do stuff like this and people will go with it. Yeah. the The only example, and I, I wrote it down because I was trying to think of who else might have told jokes about this. And Joan Rivers in two thousand five, after her husband Edgar, had it, yeah, yeah. yeah, the next time she did stand up, which I think she said was within the week. Her joke was, my husband killed himself and it was my fault. We were making love and I took the bag off my head. <laughs> yeah, she was, I mean. But that's her version of it, right? It's yeah. Just, 
but I mean, but that's her life force bringing up. I am going to sit down and write a joke in a weird way. My, my, my personal way to deal with it is to write an impersonal joke. Yeah. Be- because something like that would, would, is, is there, that kind of grief is there to sap your ability to write a joke. And she goes, no, I'm going to write a joke. Mm-hmm. Even though I am dead inside and miserable, I'm going to write a joke. Yeah. We can, let's talk about uh, the Polish woman of doom. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to go back again a second, because mm-hmm. from, from the story, you say the events of the joke take place two weeks after mm-hmm. Michelle passed away. And, you know, from talking to comedians, when you're in the mode of doing stand-up or you're working on it, your ears are up, you're hearing things like, oh, this may right, be material. Right. When, when this happened, when the actual events happened, whatever version of it, it might be hard to remember, but do you think you notice like, oh, this is maybe something? At the time, I, I wish I could say that I, I had the, the emotional distance to do it, but I was two weeks into grieving, and mm-hmm. all I saw was my daughter's heart breaking when this, when this event happened, and then me trying to deal with it on a plane ride home and how horrible it was. So it, it really was one of those things. It was a couple of days later that I was trying to think about it. I was either talking to my therapist or talking to a friend about it. And then in order to tell the story without completely bumming them out, I had to try to laugh at it. And then that's when it was almost like in trying to make someone else comfortable hearing about my trauma, that is where the joke structure kind of, yeah. I, I accidentally fell into the joke structure and realized, oh, there's, wait a minute, there's something here. Because it is such a, it is so horrible. It is such a horrible event yeah. on top of an already horrible event that there's no other reaction, I think, yeah. than to just figure out a joke about it. It's interesting because it has a different, um, eventually becomes like jokey and feels very much like a lot of your material. But there's a part in, when the first part of comedy happens in it, it's a really interesting thing because it's like cringe comedy, which you don't really see in stand-up as much, where mm-hmm. you tell a story and the audience like legitimately yeah. feels uncomfortable when they see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, but I think that seems like a thing that would come out of how to tell a story. Yeah, but those are my favorite, those are my favorite moments in comedy are those stories you tell where the audience is like, oh, wow, are we really going mm-hmm. down this path? How are we, oh, wow. You know, um, so to to be able to to be able to to get laughter out of that, uh, out out of putting the audience kind of uh, you know up on their heels like that is um, it's a very exciting thing to experience on stage. It re- it's it's um, not not so, it, it's thrilling. It's yeah. really thrilling. Your adrenaline goes because any any. Uh, miscue or or wrongly inflected word or syllable, they're gone. Mm-hmm. They're not with you. So it, it is thrilling to do that. Yeah, I was listening to an old old interviews with you throughout time, and you kept on, especially after your, your daughter was born. You could be like, you know, I write on stage, I, I but now that my daughter's born, maybe I'll start figuring out a different process. <laughs> and you kept on saying it. And so I was yeah. kind of being like, I bet he hasn't. And nope, I assume. <laughs> absolutely not. Never, never figured out a new process. So oh. I'm always, I'm obsessed because every comedian, most uh, of a certain level says they run on stage and it means a completely different thing mm-hmm. for a different person. For a thing like this, what, what does it mean for you? How do you, on a process level, how do you actually do it? What are you doing to then generate a, a joke like this is feels very written to people. 
Yeah, uh, you know, th- again, this was a joke that I started, um, th- the Polish Woman of Doom joke, which is a story, but I, you know, I yeah. pepper it with jokes to, to make it palatable, um, was like all my other writing process, I just told it night after night on stage until I was able to refine it. And I, I would try to sandwich it between stuff that I knew would more or less work. So I knew I had a, a buffer going in and then I had a, a, a parachute coming yeah. out. Uh, but, and like all my, all my bigger bits, I mean, all, all my bits that, that really became my signature bits, like the, the black Angus steak and, uh, uh, the, um, uh, Stelladora breakfast treats and, mm-hmm. and, and the party clown, um, those all, uh, and the magician story, those all started as middle of the act. Don't quite know if this is, you know, working, is there something here? And I, those are the ones I just didn't give up on, and then those yeah. became kind of closing signature bits. So a thing like this, you didn't go into knowing that the the joke part of it will be, okay, you, you tell the entire story up to the point where you go through an entire weekend without anyone saying anything, and then she says it. But then the, the joke goes, what if she was in other situations? Right, right. Do you, do you remember landing on that, or did you sort of kind of know that going um, into You know what? The The... I landed on that, weirdly enough, when I was taking my daughter out trick-or-treating, which is in the joke. And for some reason, because it was Halloween was a, a very much, much a family thing that we would do, and I was – so I was very, very sensitive to, okay, she's not – Yeah. you know, Michelle isn't here, and so I'm with Alice, and is this going to be okay? Is this going to traumatize her? And then I started thinking, okay, what if that Polish woman shows up? And, like, what's the worst thing that could happen right, right yeah. now? And, and that incident stayed with me. And then it was like that. Once that came, that's where I found the second part of the. That's thing. so. I I now realize because in New York, you that was a week after Halloween. It was a week after Halloween, <laughs> I just realized that too. And that's when. Um, oh my god, yeah, that's when that bit. That was the first time that bit really worked because I then once I opened it up to everything, I went, oh okay, yeah. Now I'm going to take it because because I was so wounded and hurt by the actual incident that I couldn't take it to kooky comedic extremes. I couldn't even imagine doing that because I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this incident's so horrible. But once I once I had enough time and distance from it, I was able to do that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> it was literally like it was the, the week, week after, after Halloween. Yeah. That's right. That's when I was in New York. Oh my God. That is wow. Yeah. That yeah. is actually really crazy. Um we'll be back with more Patton Oswald after this word from our sponsor. Did you know that every single episode of Good One is now on Spotify? Yep, even that episode you listened to and were like, we'll never put this on Spotify, but they did. It's there. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to our show, search for Good One, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. And now. And now. We are back with Pat and Oswald. I would be remiss if I did not try to push you on how do you become how, these phrasings that I feel like a lot of people associate with you, these mm-hmm. sort of turns of phrases, which this joke has. I mean, I think the one, it's uh, the candy, it's made of birch bark and ink, <laughs> and it's called don't. Are, you know, if you can, and you can think of this example or just sort of generally what is going through your brain when you you know you're in here, I'm going to say words. Yeah. That this is this is where I'm going to say a tag or a joke or I'm going to riff here on it and eventually I'm going to find it. Can you think of what happens when you sort of materialize that? I wish I could say that I 
uh, autonomously materialize it. It materializes, and I don't want to get all mystical. It materializes itself when I run the bit over and over again in my yeah. head and kind of talk it out. A lot of times I get very, a lot of my best writing, this is going to sound so lame, I love loading a dishwasher mm-hmm. and uh, organizing like dishes and getting and washing dishes and loading it. That for some reason unlocks, like I, I, I if, if I had the wherewithal, I would have a separate room built in my house where there's just, I would have a staff that would pile a sink with dirty dishes and I could come in before a writing project and just <laughs> wash them and put them in a big washing machine. Like mm-hmm. it would just be so, or find a restaurant that would let me work one of those yeah. things where you load the rack, where you take the thing and just, you know, yeah. slide it in and slam the door yeah. down. And that would be, oh, that would be so, I get so much writing done that way. And then you just, so you're literally just being like, and the candy is, and the candy. Just keep, yeah, what's the weird, and I, and I say it in that voice over and over again and then it just kind of, you just work it over and over again until you find it. And then – It's not romantic. There's nothing like the muse doesn't uh, shine a beam onto my head. I, <laughs> I just work it over and over again until I find it. And then you try – you know, you do a day's life of thinking in your head. Then you say it on stage and then react. And then you're just like, okay, that worked enough to see if there's – are you then the next day going, is there a way I can make it shorter? Is there – you know, like – Oh, yeah. I'm always thinking of how can I make it more succinct. You can really tell the comedians that don't do the work when they, there's a lot of air. There's a lot of way too much setup when they're, because you realize, oh, th- this joke is a, is a solid 30 second joke, but you, but they need to fill two minutes. So mm-hmm. they'll add all this. So I was going to the airport and you guys have all been to the airport. Mm-hmm. You go there and you go to the different terminals. I mean, sometimes whether you're like, what, what, what is the, just get to what you're talking. Like they're just, Filling in, so I just like, how can I always yeah. pare it down to its essence? What I love most about how you use language is partly the things you say are funny, but it is the thing that, as a viewer, you're like, he loves that he came up with that, and he loves that he gets to say it. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and, and I don't think I hide that very well. It's very no. clear, like, and, oh, I'm so happy with this phrasing. So that's why it's an interesting place that this exists in this, to have that for in this in this section of your material, when you're talking about these sad things, to be on stage um, and have moments where you can still revel in that. I think this is, of all the sort of sections of the special where you talk about it, this is the sec- the section that feels most like you. Did you, th- oh. did you think about, you know, like, were you like, at, after sort of going through really difficult parts of that section, that you're like, yeah. it's now time to be like... I hadn't really thought of it that way. Yeah, maybe that was a... Subconsciously, that was my way of showing to myself that oh, and you can, you can also talk about this your way, the way that you like to talk about things, and it, it's a, it's a kind of a rebuke to the to the grief that no, oh, no, I'm I'm gonna do the fun word stuff that I like to do in talking about yeah. this, and you know, I'm gonna turn you, know, I'm gonna take this grief and turn it into something that that. I like and that I like to say and, and I like to watch people react to. Yeah. Maybe that was the life force welling up. I don't know. Wow, I didn't think about it that way. That is true. That's the first part of that because the rest of that section, it's, I'm very halting and not, you know, I'm just not myself. And I know that I'm not myself because I'm very – and then that's when it kind of, mm-hmm. bam, I can just talk about it the way that I like to do jokes. It's huh. it's such a relief. Not like, oh, what a relief. But like you, it – though there are jokes in other parts of it, and though there's really sad parts, that is the, it sort of builds to that part. And, you know, it's ultimately it's probably like 15 minutes, that entire section. But that mm-hmm. feels like, it does feel like a breakthrough 
which is interesting because it seems like it was a breakthrough also to even be doing the material and that yeah. is and that is in it. Wow, it's a breakthrough inside of a breakthrough, I guess. <laughs> huh. It's just the the part that I love the most is you it almost feels like and I remember it almost distinctly now that we keep on talking about that beacon show, which is you sort of okay, you have the thing, it's funny, you do Halloween, it's funny, you do Christmas, it's funny. And then you just sort of like say Arbor Day, but you don't even finish the joke. Yeah, because <laughs> at, at that point, it's because uh, because I'm getting greedy. Mm. I've done Halloween and Christmas, one, two, three. And then it's the afterthought of like, it, it's it's all, it's also that like letting him into my head for a second. Yeah. And then Arbor, ah, let's, we don't need to. Yeah. It's, you it's, get it. She's in a tree. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, so throughout your career, you've played with how you set up a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we'll say like a really harsh thing to sort of jolt them and then you'll yeah do, or you'll do a non sequitur throughout this section and e- even here there's about i think maybe 90 seconds where you just sort of like tell the story you set up these things can you talk about why what that was like working on it that way and accepting that that's how you're going to do it um i i don't even think it was except i just did not know any other way i tried other ways like could i open started off with a joke or with a shot you just you, you, it doesn't that kind of stuff, it just doesn't work that way. You just have to start going, here we go. I'm going to talk about this. And 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 for a comedian, for me, I mean, I think for any comedian, that, that much silence is what's so terrifying. Yeah. Am I going to do so much silence that there's no getting back out of it? You never know. So, um, yeah, I, I just, um, I think I made a couple of half-hearted attempts to, maybe start it with a joke or but it just it wasn't it didn't feel right and so i said okay well that you know last april my wife and they just kind of talk about, and then we just kind of ramp up to it yeah and, uh, and then just let, let, let the um let the silence be the non sequitur i guess yeah i mean ultimately you are you you're building up an amount of when is the joke going to happen mm-hmm. i mean people are listening because they care about you and right it's you're Especially, you know, for this joke in particular, this is a small thing. It's it's interesting to sort of like, you know, cure the other moments that are also interesting and how it kind of weaves, weaves in. Mm-hmm. But like structurally, I imagine it's sort of like they're just like, okay, well, they're not like thinking when is the joke coming, but they are in the back of their head. And it's interesting because the jokes sort of build and then you do it. I think maybe at that point in this, you know, I, I opened the special with just a lot of just solid joke, 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 yeah. joke, joke, so that hopefully I had built up enough – goodwill and credit that they were going well this silence you know he knows where he's going he had us he had a pretty steady hand on the on the tiller for about half an hour so let's give him yeah a little bit of wiggle room here and see where he goes with it i hope that i built up that trust you know that, that that's what i went in hoping i would have to imagine you've put out like eight hours or whatever and they you've built up the trust through yeah yeah that, okay i can have 90 seconds <laughs> yeah, quiet so. uh, i've heard you talk about how uh it's important to try to build a moment of discovery into the jokes mm-hmm. um and i was wondering if you can explain what that means for a joke like this i guess maybe the moment of discovery that i was trying to build was the moment when i'm walking my daughter to school and I realize how insane I look so that it's a moment of both discovery for me and the audience that, oh, there is something funny here. Mm-hmm. And it's not in the form of a punchline. It's just a tossed off a side on the way like, okay, so we've been in this kind of 
this dark forest of silence for a long time. Here's the first couple of crumbs. Here's the first yeah. couple of things that are going to lead us out of it. But they're not going to be, you know, so that kind of aside there is the, like, oh, okay, wait a minute. There's, there's, there's light. Okay, we're, we're starting to come out of it. So I, I, maybe, maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think also you, that is probably the first moment where you see outside of yourself. Yes. Right? You're, you're not just in oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, that is the first time when it's not, I, I, it's the first time I see myself the way someone else would be looking at me at that point. Yeah. Because at that point, I am totally in my head. Not even, I'm, I'm, I'm in my head to the exclusion of my daughter, really. And so now it's me and my daughter and what, what are we, like, we're now a team in the world and here's how they, mm. they see us. Maybe it, it, as horrible it is, maybe there is some ridiculousness to it. Yeah. Can you talk about how you decided to structure the hour? You know, it, it's about 25 minutes of yeah. jokes and then it's 10 minutes of crowd work, which is an interesting place to put crowd work. Yeah, I mean, because... <laughs> and, then you, and then you bring up what happened, and then this obviously is the joke that sort of ends that section. Yeah, I, I wanted to see... I wanted them to see that the, the... The act of me avoiding talking about the the death of my wife, the act of avoiding it is part of the grief and the trauma. So that 10 minutes of crowd work, even though it was really fun to do and the audience was great... But then in the context of then me going into they're like, oh, wow, he really was struggling not to want to talk about this. That's a real thing that, that's going on right now, you know? Yeah. Um, so you, you filmed the material for the special in June 2017, which is less than a year from when you started working on it, which like you're very prolific, but that is an incredibly fast time to go from the night you start working on a material to putting out an hour. Yeah. How did you come to the decision to do it then? I, you know, I, I didn't want to sit with this, this, this kind of, this material and this, this hour for too long. Cause I thought it would kind of curdle and either get maudlin or, or ghoulish, mm-hmm. you know? So the, the fact that it's still a little bit raw and not completely refined was very much a part of what I was feeling. And I wanted to get that on film and get that recorded that, moment um and then also i just i really wanted to for for my daughter i wanted to have some kind of act of moving on mm-hmm. you know and moving forward into something more like life and 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 less like death and mourning so um it was you know it was a year and uh two months after my my wife passed that i that i recorded this and and it was i just i was afraid that if i toured another year on this it it would get refined to the point where it wasn't personal anymore and it, it would feel too rehearsed yeah and and i thought that would be disrespectful to her i wanted to see i wanted them to see me maybe not at my best uh you know because it, it, each of my albums and specials i think of them as a issue of a magazine here's how i'm doing right now for better or for worse so yeah. you know you see me Early on, like I'm never getting married, never having kids, fuck that. And then I'm in love, and then oh my god, I'm actually, I am getting married. Oh my god, we're gonna have a baby. We, I have a kid. You know, like so, yeah. you see this development. You know, I, I, I put the the camera on me, uh, warts and all, and and this was part of warts and all. This was an extreme version of that, but yeah. Are so you know usually when you put on a special, do you do you think of like this joke is finished? And for for this, where you're like, this is the joke it is at this time that we're recording it. That's the joke it is at that time. Sometimes, you know, afterward, before the special comes out, I'll go to shows and I'll def- refine the bits a little bit. But but it's the people that go to those live shows that see that refined version. Yeah. But um, 
But the minute the special's out, they're gone. And especially this stuff I'll never do again. Yeah. I mean, I can't. It, it would just, again, it would be exploitative and ghoulish. So, uh, um, I, I just, I, I wanted it to, I wanted to do the show but still be hurt. I didn't want to be totally healed. I thought that would I thought that would especially put some distance and and between me and other people that might be watching that were going through the same thing. And 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 they're like, "Oh, so I can't function until I'm completely." So I was like, "No, no, I'm up here functioning and I'm still bleeding out." So that's how you got to go through your days for yeah. a while. What was the night like you you mentioned that you until afterwards you didn't realize you can do it. Yeah, so was it two shows a night? Like two shows in one night. It was um, it was excruciating. The waiting to get on stage was excruciating. Please, God, just let me get out there so we can start now. At this point, it's all set up. The sitting around waiting backstage was killing me. Let yeah. me go out there. So uh, I've talked to comedians uh, in the past about. Uh, being honest about your life on stage and how it's sort of weird in some ways to sort of give your life to other people. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, you, you go through painful things for the audience to make them feel better. Right. Um, for this, you know, like, why film it? Is it, is it for you? Is it for the, 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 your audience? Uh, I think it's a, a, that's a good question. I mean, it's, it's a combination of things. It's, it's very... Um, it's very life affirming for me to do comedy. I don't, don't want to sound all new agey about it, but it, it's really fun to make people laugh from something that you kind of created out of nothing. It, it feels it's a very, very hard thing to do. So um, w when you can connect with that many people, like you're just talking to one person, imagine just going into a party and walking up to a complete stranger and just chatting with them and then suddenly connecting about everything. Um, that really... Uh, 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 on that level, it, it, it's a really, um, it's a big adrenaline rush. And I, I'm kind of addicted to that rush, I guess. So, yeah. you know, there, there's a selfish aspect to it in that I like the the feeling of it. I like being, you know, loved and understood. Um, but then I just, I also like entertaining people. I like making people laugh. For something like this you were talking about, you're like, oh, I want to film it here so it's still honest. Is that, mm -hmm. and it's still a genuine thing you're feeling. Was that a thing, I think you'd, was that something you decided for yourself or you wanted for to communicate to the audience? I wanted, I wanted to definitely do it in Chicago. I wanted to do it, you know, in this, uh, where Michelle kind of, you know, was born and raised and, and to kind of have that feeling to kind of have her be part of it. Yeah. Um, do you think the pattern, that person and more, and more specifically the comedian of that time period, it's around 2004 mm -hmm. could have done this material obviously like your life experience was different but you know just in terms of your skill set and you know if you can describe the evolution that allows you to tell sort of stories where there's more silences and also you know what part did michelle have in that evolution well michelle definitely had a part in that she you know made me way more open to myself so that i was doing less pointing out what was ridiculous and silly about other people and looking at what's more ridiculous and silly about me um, you know, that kind of, that, that kind of feeling was, was really, um, to take those steps. I would not have done that if I hadn't met her and hadn't experienced, um, you know, life and, and love and marriage with her. Uh, so no, I don't think that the person that I was in 2004 could have done 
this show only because he was just beginning to take the first couple of shaky steps into that world, into that version of himself that she kind of woke up. Um, I'm just sorry that I'm sorry. It's, it's beyond tragic and it's cruelly ironic that this is the thing that this is her making me into the kind of person that I was, it was how I could deal with her being gone, Mm -hmm. which just feels horrible beyond belief. So it's it's about almost exactly a year since when you filmed Annihilation. Yeah. How do you feel about yeah. it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't really feel about the special the way I mean. This one will stay with me only because it was it was so much more therapeutic, and it's something that I still deal with on some levels every single day. But um, the part that stays with me is just the part that I talk about Michelle. The opening part, the other bits, those will are fading like the other ones. I'm working on new stuff. I'm, you know, I'm working on the new hour for the next special. But that stuff about grieving and and Alice and and Michelle and moving on and the, you know, that is that's just immediate because that is now part of my everyday makeup. Yeah. Beyond it being jokes. Um, you know, when she's older, do you hope? Your daughter watches the special, and you know, if show, if 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 so, what do you hope she sees and and learns about you and about Michelle from it? Well, I know my daughter. She's very curious. She will watch the special. I just hope that uh, I my hopes are that it is helpful to her and that it puts some things in perspective and answers some questions that she might have at the time or or not. Um, but uh, that that's up to her. I, I can't say. I can't predict or say how she'll react to it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so th- that sound means it's time for our final segment. It's oh. called it's called the laughing round, so it's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's it's laughing round. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. For- um so like a lightning round will be faster and uh a little bit lighter. Um All right, cool. And you can pass if you want. Uh do you have a favorite joke joke? Uh, here's my favorite current joke joke. Uh, teacher tells her class, uh, everyone has to come in tomorrow and use the word beautiful twice in a sentence. So the next day, class comes in, a little boy stands up and says, last night my mom made a beautiful cake and it tasted beautiful. She goes, that's, that's pretty good. And then a little girl stands up and says, last night my mom made a beautiful dress and she wore it and looked beautiful. She goes, oh, that's very good. And then the the third little boy stands up and goes, last night at dinner, my sister said she was pregnant, and my dad said, beautiful, just fucking beautiful. <laughs> if you could uh, steal a joke, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, <coughs> yeah. The world would not be mad at you. No one even knows you stole it. It right. was sort of just like it was removed from the existence of this person's life, and it's now your joke, and it's okay. What joke would it be? Gary Goleman has a joke about um, trying to f- uh, figure out the state abbreviations. From it. It's one of the. It's such a gorgeous piece of comedy writing. I love it so much. I would absolutely, if if it could exist at a time and be mine, mm-hmm. I would take it. And then my, my runner up would be Shane Torres's joke about Guy Fieri and Anthony Bourdain. Oh my God! I remember seeing that and go that that's a joke that's so good you can't even go oh my god that was sitting right there it wasn't sitting right there it was so against what everyone's conventional thinking was that that he muscled through and got to there oh god it's so great (laughs) 
Uh, so uh, this segment, it's called uh, Just the Turns of Phrases. So uh, I'm providing you with a list of things oh that you've once God. said. And uh, I want to pick any of the ones and you can say them as you think you might have said them at the time. Come drop your golf pencils into our mine shafts. You mean I can't pay for a sandwich with a song? Bring forth my doom spawn from your stink crevice and prove the gypsy wrong. Oh, God. And she sits cackling in the darkness like a half-remembered nightmare through a cracked mirror of regret. It looks like they took the head and legs off a Jack Russell Terrier and then found a beaver carcass, filled it with waffle batter and ball bearings, and then put the legs and head back on. We made cancer airborne and contagious. You're welcome. Wet mound of starch that I can eat with a spoon like I'm a death row prisoner on suicide watch. <laughs> oh, my God. What's wrong with me? Uh, if you were to direct a Star Wars side a story of what would it be i would love to do a, a star wars uh story about dengar the that bounty hunter but make it be like a salieri mozart thing where he's jealous of boba fett because he's so good and he's just he knows he's mediocre there you go dengar but like a salieri mozart thing hooray all right end of podcast <laughs> That's it for another episode of Good One. Annihilation is available on Netflix. Follow Patton on Twitter, at Patton Oswald. Good One is produced by Nick Rad, with additional production help from Marissa Melnick. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them. What the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new comedian and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.